Welcome to uh, the first true episode of Those Good Old Fashioned Values, the first and hopefully last podcast that analyzes Seth MacFarlane's hit animated TV series, Family Guy. I am your host, Spencer, aka The Lonely Photon, and I am joined, as always, with Ty, aka at Bobo underscore Circus, and Andy, aka X underscore Anarcho Anon on Twitter. So, before we begin, uh, what did you two think about that Family Guy season? Um, there, I'm sure there are plenty of shows with worse starts. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there are plenty with better, though. I, I really do not think this is a strong season of I would television. say middling. I, I would even put it lower on that. Maybe it's just because, like, the specific perspective I come at enjoying the show from, this just does not work for me at all. I'm sorry. It's too sitcom-y, I, I, not cartoony enough, and I feel like it works better when it hits that balance between the two, and later seasons, I think, got a little too cartoony. This just feels way too sitcom for me, and I don't think it plays to the show's strength at all. I agree with you overall, but I think there are, like, you know, obviously we'll go into this over, like, the next 25 minutes or whatever, right. but I think there are, like... Well, I didn't like the seasons a lot, I will say there are aspects of it that I do miss when watching more modern stuff. I will say stuff um, works. I just think on the whole, I, I don't think it is nearly as strong as the show has been. And, and like, through Yeah, this yeah. this isn't the best season. I'm, I'm pretty sure this won't even be the best season of the pre-cancellation era. Yeah. It's, it's um, not a great season of TV by any means. I mean, it's only seven episodes, but it is instructive in many ways since it does sort of provide an interesting look at what Family Guy was and how much the vision of the show changed in a very short amount of time. Uh, the thing I wanted to bring up first, I did some reading on it and what I found about it was is that the show was originally conceived based around Peter and Brian's relationship, which is yeah, very uh, weird to me. Uh, I was just going to say, um, I forget the name, but uh, Seth MacFarlane actually... Right? Yeah, yeah, to yeah. It, he made uh, animated shorts that, that very much feel like early season one, a bit more primitive, of, like, uh, a not-Peter and a not-Brian, obviously with different designs. Yeah, it was based around two um, characters named Larry and Steve. Uh, one was just called Larry and Steve. I think there was one called The Life of Larry. But, yeah, it was very much like the proto-Peter and proto-Brian with, like, similar voices, but definitely different design mm-hmm. and characterization. Pitched for Cartoon Network initially, yeah, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of interesting to think about. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. It's ironic given how much of a afterlife these early seasons found on Adult Swim. And and all, it, it does make sense considering um, Seth MacFarlane got his start in the business doing, I believe, storyboarding for Dexter's Lab? Um, yeah. I, I knew he floated around Nick for a bit. Like, he did stuff with Rocco and I want to say a little bit yeah. on SpongeBob, I think. I'm not sure, though, but... No, I, I think he did start with, like, that yeah. early kind of 90s. Season part, 1 of yeah. Family Guy premiered same year as Season 1 of SpongeBob. Okay, then so maybe not SpongeBob. I, I think it was definitely Rocco's and some other early Nicktoon. I don't remember exactly So uh, the reason why that's so interesting to me is because that relationship doesn't really register at all in the later seasons. Like, even in Season 2, which I've been watching, it's nowhere near as there as it is in Season 1. And... It's kind of a good thing since, while the dynamic that the two have is interesting, it's certainly not something you build a lasting show around. I would agree with that, and and I do think that, like, 
I think that the characters have progressed into more like, not necessarily better characters, but at least characters with more comedic potential. But at the same time, I do find myself kind of missing some of the, the aspects of these characters. I think the thing is, there's a good compromise between early Family Guy and, um, and like, season 18 Family Guy. And I'm not sure if the show ever really hit. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Andy. Um, I, I just wanted to note that I'm going to talk a lot about how, you know, Seth MacFarlane loves screwball comedies of the 1930s. And he loves, like, old Hollywood musicals. stuff. And musicals. And I was kind of surprised that, you know, there's all, all different characters in the uh, in the early season seem to be based on like other characters from that era. And the one that really stuck out to me is that Brian really seems like he's based around a lot of big names in old Hollywood, like Humphrey Bogart and Edward G. Robinson. It's very strange to me. I don't know why, since as the show went on, you know, the Brian gets more pathetic and awful where here he's kind of like this wise cracking voice of reason. I mean, it's, I, I think that's a logical, you know, extension of the character simply because of how much of early Brian was just considered, you know, a Seth MacFarlane self-insert. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of where I was coming from it too, where it's like, I really think early Brian is what Seth considered cool to be. And that is like in his mind, cause he's such a big fan of that stuff linked to those early Hollywood comedies. And Brian started to move away from it when I think Seth started to realize, oh, this guy is kind of an asshole. And like, started to hate himself a little bit more which honestly i yes. think is good for the show uh, although I, I think he went too far in the other direction yes but that's, um, but that's there was like a... at least 10 episodes from now and i i do think again i think that there was a point where the character hit a balance and i think that it's definitely moved past that but i really do think that brian as kind of smug liberal asshole is a lot more fun than brian as the straight man yeah know? i agree also seth mcfarland is correct in you know assuming that cool nothing will ever be cooler than humphrey bogart yeah and I, he also i think he was very smart to catch on that brian makes a much better foil to stewie specifically later stewie than um he does to peter since peter's not really a character that needs a foil that much i mean especially as the show goes on there aren't a lot of conventional character dynamics but brian and stewie just play off each other a lot better and that's why the road to episodes are so beloved you know what that's, that also brings up a good point, and let's just start this episode by talking about how, like, each of the, you know, uh, Griffin family members sort of start off. Uh, so let's, you want, you want to just jump into Stewie? Yeah, the uh, elephant in the Stewie sucks in these early seasons. He's okay. awful. I'm half and half on Stewie. I, th I think half of his character sucks, but the other half I really like. I think it is good that I understand and agree with the show dropping evil Stewie. But I do kind of miss the more posh aspect of Stewie. I think it played better with Earl. Like, posh Stewie with, like, Humphrey Bogart Brian, I think, is a really, really strong dynamic, which you get in some of the, the more middle seasons, like, right after the cancellation. And, I, and I'm kind of missing that from their dynamic. You, you know what? I will agree with that. I, I think that Stewie works best when he's posh and kind of like a weird, floaty British guy, but also, like... A character you know and i really think that the whole diabolical stewie is less a character and more a concept and i really think it doesn't work yeah i um so when i was taking notes on the show i know taking notes on family guy i um oh you should see my <laughs> oh 
Uh, I I feel like so Brian is you know like he's been there since like the genesis of the show. Stewie really stuck out to me as like a less of a character or even a concept and more of a way to stick out from The Simpsons. Where you you know we talk about how The Simpsons was supposedly grounded in realism. And you have all of these characters that are kind of sort of mirrors of Simpsons characters. And the way that they can push and distance the show away from The Simpsons as much as possible is to, you know, make Maggie, who doesn't talk or do anything, uh, into... Except shoot Mr. Burns. Yeah, into, like, a diabolical mastermind evil character and have her do all of this, like, weird 50s sci-fi... Or have him do all of this weird 50s sci-fi stuff uh, that will, like, puts the show in already into sort of a level of unreality that The Simpsons never went to. Yeah. Also, I, I find it, like, just... That's a good point. Like, they took the two characters from The Simpsons, you know, uh, Santa's little helper and Maggie, and sort of made them into much more complex dialogue heavy characters they didn't do that for snowball they just they just cut no, the griffins don't need a cat i guess um also i since we're already on the simpsons topic i wanted to ask you this but i would say that as bad rough as family guy season one is it probably holds up a little better than simpsons season one yeah yeah i'd have to agree there's some like decent episodes in simpsons yeah the season sideshow one. bob episode is is good yeah but it's a. Uh... It's also better animated. It's yeah. season one. Like, one of some of those Simpsons early season rough. one episodes are, of Simpsons are fucking hideous. <laughs> yeah. Um, returning to Family Guy, though, I, I got to agree with Ty that Evil Stewie is just a character with, like, two beats and nowhere to go and almost no comedic potential whatsoever. He's a plot device. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will say this. I was a bit uncharitable. I think there were a couple beats that hit, um, I, especially when it kind of, he's more flustered than he is like the evil genius. I think there were some of those that kind of worked. But I, I really, yeah, I really do think on the whole that there was not much they could have done with this character past like maybe the second season. Max. I, I also do think like, but you are starting to see inklings of the modern Stewie in that like all of his yes, best yeah. jokes in this season are when he is playing off of someone else. Doesn't mean it doesn't even have to be one of the Griffins, just another person in the plot. I will say there was even some early chemistry with Brian where you yes. can really see like how that evolution evolved. It was very antagonistic. It was evolved. very antagonist, yeah. but it's it's I, I you can tell why it works because like Brian and Stewie are the two smartest people in the house, so having them go at each yeah. other is very nice. And I do miss that. Like, I do miss when, like, yeah. Brian would occasionally get a one-up on Stewie instead of just being the other way around. Um, that is, I totally agree with you on that. But And I do think that the relationship does work when it has that kind of, like, bit of antagonism in its foundation. Like, obviously, that's it's not the purview of this episode. But I think, really, like, one of my favorite moments of their relationship is in that first road of where it's uh the road to rhode island and it's and it's you know it, the entire episode is kind of stewie being imperious and kind of shitty to brian and brian being kind of smug back and then there's that little moment where it cracks at the end and i really think that's where their relationship works best where it's like they're at each other's throats but there there's just enough space where they allow themselves to kind of open up where it's like yeah we were we get along better than either of us wants to admit I, I just wanted to um add that with stewie um we say you know there's no way for this character to go and you can see how they like kind of changed it and you know what do you know i don't want to go too much into it but season two you already start to see the next evolution of stewie come out 
I, I wanted to talk about Peter because one thing that struck me with this short season is that there is a lot of him in this season, like more than usual. And most of the most of the season's episodes revolve around Peter lying in some way. And it's a very Simpsons type dynamic. It's kind of like how in Simpsons season one with 13 episodes, you have three Homer Marge marriage crisis episodes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I would also make the argument that that is part of it leaning on those sitcom elements that it kind of jettisons later where a lot of sitcoms is about someone lying and then the fallout from that. And like, like that is the kind of the DNA of the sitcom. Yeah. Also, in regards to Peter, something else you can feel that like, yeah, a modern family guy always has at least like two subplots. You got like two separate Griffith stories, be it like Peter and Lois or whatever, or Peter and Chris or Chris and Meg, and then Stewie and Brian or whatever. In this, you get maybe a few like very thin Stewie subplots and mostly a, this season is not, it's not just that Peter is the focus of the episode is that is there is no other B plots backing up Peter. It is just Peter. He is the family. Yeah, guy. it is just Peter and cutaway gags. Um, and going back to that, uh, it's with the lying stuff. It's usually Brian is the one to say like, well, you know, there, Peter, uh, why don't you just be truthful to Lois? Like that type of thing. And that's how most of the episodes get resolved. Right. And yeah, I'm quite glad that they ditched that going forward. Yes. Also, the but the thing is, I will say about Peter, I think he is the closest to his modern counterpart. Like, no contest. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. Um, I don't know. I, I really do think that... Uh, you know what? No, I that makes sense. I think that he's kind of gone away from more like the flight of fancy stuff that kind of characterized him for a bit, but... I, I still think he I still think he's I, I'm not saying he's the same character I'm just saying like every other character feels like a, a either an incomplete or a different version of the the character they already are Peter it, it seems like his his like all of his personality traits are there it's just what it's just modern family guy chooses to emphasize different parts of that personality okay I, I could go with I that. um I just wanted to move on to Meg this one is also kind of an elephant in the room situation is Meg the most different i mean there's the voice acting i would so spencer i skim through your notes on the season i feel like this is something we disagree on because i i really do not like lisa jamir meg at all like i i, I think, think she's fine it's you know i i think it, she could work but to me like next to maybe chris she's one of the weaker chris is easily the, the weakest member but i i, I like yes i like I, it. obviously i like this part of meg because okay it's one you do not have any of the antagonistic relationship between meg and the rest of the family in this yeah i think that was what i was what i was glad about is that but i've always hated that aspect. my thing with Lacey chabert is that my, my thing with Lacey chabert and she's a fine actress i nothing against her but i think that her Meg is very much, I keep going, coming back to this, it's like a hobby horse, but it, it's, she's the sitcom daughter and everything she does is through that, you know, lens of, oh, we need something that a teen girl would do, you know, sans jokes, sans, you know, whatever deeper connection to the plot. It, it very much seems like she was taken from like Cheaper by the Dozen or, or some movie where there's a teen girl having teen girl problems and she was just put into the show. And it just doesn't work for yeah. me. I don't know. I I, I can I can see, see that, that too. I, I think it's it's a, it's refreshing. It's refreshing compared um, to uh, the way Meg gets treated in like the later season or not the later seasons, well, but the episodes, the middle. Seasons. Yeah, the middle seasons where it's just like 
I know I talk about how I like how misanthropic the show is, but like it kind it gets really it gets it too gets far. Dark. Yeah. yeah. I, I also think it's interesting. I think Modern Family Guy has come more around to this more assertive Meg you get in season one. Yeah. And I like that. Uh, that said, I would agree that Mila Kunis is the better Meg voice. Absolutely. I, I like that, that Meg is... Meg is probably the most normal person in of the Griffins. Yeah. I do want to say I agree with you that Seth Green got so much better at Chris. So much better in the later seasons. In this season, yes. it is just disorienting. Chris is the worst. It is so Every weird. Every single line ends with him doing that weird pronunciation of dude. I think I know what they're going for. They're going for Polly. I I think they're going for Polly Shore, for Seth Green. He's going for that kind of like, that specific late 90s, early 2000s loser kind of comedy. That's American Pie. That sort of stuff is exactly what they're going for with Chris. And it does not work at all. Yeah, there's like not even a lot to say about Chris. No. Like it's just not a uh, not a great character. Chris has never been one of the more interesting ones. I think modern ones, Chris but... has a lot more going for him, even if they do like really hammer home the masturbation jokes nowadays. Yeah. Do we have anything to add about Lois? Lois is interesting in that she is, I think, like right next to Brian, sort of the moral core of the family. Later seasons kind of, well, I mean, they're inconsistent about how bad she, of a mom she is, but she's like a very like good, competent mom. She's the, she is the closest to like uh, Homer and Peter don't necessarily uh, like have a lot in common. I would say early Lois and Marge have way more in common. They're, they're almost yeah. feel. Yeah. Lois is very much like the kind of the saintly mother in this, which is like kind of an archetype. And I, I get that they're, you know, doing like a parody of that kind of, you know, honeymooners type sitcom setup. But I, I, I think that they go a little bit too hard on her as, like, the good mom. And I, I really do like when they let Lois cut loose. That being said, I think that she's one of the more coherent characters in this first season. And for her role, she works fine. Yeah, She's fine, just kind of boring. Yes, that is a good point. Before we transition to the, um, the section on where we go kind of deeper into a couple episodes, I wanted to put two observations on the table that these were like my biggest impressions of the uh, season overall. The first one is that this is definitely McFarlane trying to make like a normal show, but he can't help himself. And that there's all these like tangents that you can see, like even when he's trying to do like something regular, he can't help himself but, like, indulge in, like, a bizarre reference or an overlong joke. Yeah. I don't know if you'd all agree. No, I agree. I Because, I mean, they have the cutaways as kind of a part of the DNA of the series that are, like, I think more fantastical than a lot of shows got to even in this first season. But there's a kind of awkwardness that I think you, you're right, that you can feel kind of the tension between him wanting to make it kind of palatable to a normal audience and him wanting to just go weird with it. One more thing I wanted to add is that... Oh, can I also throw in something after this? Sure. Um, um, I just wanted to say that for a show that's like, you know, notorious for being, you know, kind of shocking and controversial and, you know, no sacred cows or whatever, it definitely has the early South Park problem of, especially in this, you know, first season, it feels like it's self-consciously, like, trying too hard to be offensive. Yes. Yeah, I, there's one joke yeah. um, that really stuck out for me where it's the murder she wrote joke, where I'm like, the setup is really, really good. Uh, it's the end of the episode seven, where it's Agatha Christie, and they're going through, and they're setting up everything. And then the punchline of the joke is like, abortion is murder. And it's like, well, you don't believe that, Seth. And also, like, it's not funny enough to carry that pretty solid, yeah. like, yeah, it felt like it's definitely, like, pushing the envelope for the sake of pushing the envelope. 
So the the thing I wanted to get in real quick was like this isn't necessarily a problem because that this is how most shows are in their first season, but I would also say that like even more than the Griffins, none of the side characters really feel fully formed. But again, like it's yeah. it's your side characters usually aren't fully formed in your first season. That's that's the point. Is you give more big grand developments to your main cast and then like right. trickle in like side character episodes. Like that that's like you didn't really get like proper like side character stories on Simpsons until like season three, uh, with a few exceptions. I, I think out of all of them, I would say that Cleveland is probably, like, the strongest just because I think Mike Henry, like, knew what he was doing with the character to a degree from the start. But, no. You can tell he'd been doing that Cleveland's voice for a while. Cleveland's probably the least changed. He's a bit more hyper nowadays. Yeah. He, he, he was practiced. But, no. I, I totally agree with you. Also, I feel like the show kind of barely used, like, it's very much also still trying to figure, like, okay, who even yeah. are the reoccurring characters on this show? Uh, and you'll see that a lot, which, you know, we'll talk about this when we get, when we talk about the first episode, but, like, um, there's a reason why uh, Peter goes through three jobs. All right, so uh, we're going to take a little break real quick, and then we're going to head back and uh, talk about two episodes from the season. Everyone has fingernails and everyone wants cash. So send us all your fingernails and we'll send you some cash. Fingernailsforcash.com. Fingernails for cash. Remember it's just fingernails, so don't expect much cash. Fingernailsforcash.com. Our service never fails. Just take the cash and don't ask why we want your fingernails. Because we might be building a fort with them. And we're back. And okay, so... Uh, we decided to talk about two episodes from the season, which is, I think, will be our custom for uh, each seasonal analysis that we're doing. Or part season analysis, you know, because these seasons do get longer. Well, we want to talk about the pilot, obviously, since, you know, one, it's the pilot. Two, they return to the pilot a lot in the show. And, uh, you know, I think it's just a good starting place. Like, even ignoring the episode where they go back to the pilot, man, the, how many times do they do literally do the Kool-Aid yeah. Man joke in the courthouse? Just thinking about that, like... Uh, I want to say at least a half dozen that yeah. I can just remember off the top of my head. They are not shy about going back to their room. So, um, for starters, the uh, first thing that will stick out to anyone who's seen, you know, more Modern Family Guy episodes is that... It starts with a cold open, which is something they've kind of dropped. I don't know if I miss it or not, but, like, I like the idea of it, but at the same time, it's, it's not like any of them were particularly I think it's good, interesting. So. I think that the show is yeah. also cleaner without it. Agreed. I don't know. There's, uh, so, yeah, you mentioned that there's that sort of Aunt Jemima joke. Um, you mentioned that it's kind of uncomfortable, but... It's mostly just very forced and not even in like the kind of like, like so forced it's kind of brilliant way that a lot of the later jokes are. It's just kind of there and they just jump to the theme. But we kind of had this conversation beforehand and I think we just want to dive right into it. Um, Peter works at a toy factory with a uh, gay boss in this episode. Let's just talk about that. Um, I get that it was the 90s, but was, was that like funny back then? I don't. Like, like, it's really just... Well, I mean, I, I would assume not, considering it. What, did, when does fish, Peter Joint get the fishing boat? Like, next season? Season three? I think it's three, um, but Spencer is watching yeah, season Yeah, he does two, so get the, uh, I think he... I'm not sure, actually. I need to look back uh, to so many episodes. I'm gonna say this. I don't think any of Peter... Like, the brewery's probably the best, but none of the, the yeah. Peter's jobs are really that interesting. I would say this is the weakest, though. Yes. Um, I mean, because really, there's one character there, which is Mr. Weed, and the character is, oh, he's gay. Which, yeah. like... Gay and I French-ish. Guess went, like, 
he's not even because he's spandex. He was played by uh, Lucy's husband from I Love Lucy, right? Yeah, yeah. I think. So, I mean, yeah, he's like just a vaguely Hispanic guy. And the joke is that he's gay and does gay stuff, which like they don't even like whatever. It might just be because they're awkward with the show, but it's like they don't make a joke about it. They just state it and hope that like that's joke enough, which it might have been back then. But in retrospect, yeah, I you know, The Simpsons has, you know, problematic elements, you know, from the uh, first couple of seasons. And I don't want to. I don't want to do like a bodies and spaces analysis of Golden Age Simpsons, but right. like with Smithers, you know, there was definitely, well, there's also Smithers is a character and the, and they established that he was a character. And there's also like more to gay. the jokes. Usually like he's not good at covering up that exactly. he's gay. He's specifically gay for like this, like decrepit old man that he like serves constantly. So the, like they do kind of lean on it, but it's like, there's more to it than just like, hey, he's gay. I have no problem with gay jokes if they're jokes, you know, is kind of my thing. Like, Smithers is fine because that works that he's a closeted guy who's horny for an evil old man. Yes. But I don't know. This this joke is just he's gay and he is open about it. And it doesn't feel like a joke. Yeah, it, it's very uh, odd. Yeah, I noted how many gay jokes there were in episode one. And... You know, Family Guy never got over their love of gay jokes, obviously, but, you know, they do get a little bit more, at least, like, obscene than this, where in this... Modern Stewie feels at least more three-dimensional. I wanted to... So I wrote down just a couple of uh, jokes that stood out to us. Uh, the first one, I see that it stood out to you, Ty, is uh, America's great, isn't it? Except for the South. Like, from the beginning, Seth's, like, you know, brand of, like, kind of, you know, he's an in-your-face liberal type of thing is still there. And, and, and not just that, but a proper New England yes. liberal. Although, something that early Family Guy kind of carries over into more modern Family Guy, I don't think Quahog feels particularly New england Yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't really. And it never does. It's not like it fluctuates. It's like, eh, no, it's Yeah, just, they just got it, the accent. might as well be Springfield, where it's just anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, Springfield kind of feels more, like, regionally specific than Quahog, because Springfield feels very, like, Midwestern, where... Yes, it does. You know, Quahog is just, it's kind of there. And I'm not saying that it has to be, like, you know, a perfect survey of Rhode Island, but definitely... But if you're going to set it in a location, make it feel like a loca that yeah, location. I, yeah, I almost feel like they did the Rhode Island thing just so, like... Because, I mean, that's something that Seth was kind of had a background in but maybe like the writer's room didn't and there was they just kind of compromised me i i don't know if that's the case but that's kind of what it feels like where it's like and i and i guess the more they think about it like some of the early pre-cancellation seasons and stuff does like uh, address that like you know you do get like the leaf for episode in like season two or three and like so there is like a connection there but it's always very like inconsistent i i think it's it's new england for plot reasons and not for aesthetic reasons if that makes sense yeah absolutely uh there was another one that stuck out and it was like a porn parody of casablanca called asablanca oh and i really that that does feel more like modern family guy where it's like some important piece of American iconography or like, you know, old Hollywood stuff and then just make it slightly obscene. That's just very very Seth MacFarlane. That's Hold on. Can can we actually like talk about the party itself for a second? Cuz like, man, like the idea of like uh I forget what the 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 stag party 
that feels like a very like man do, do people still do those do people still get together jerk off to pornos and fucking drink i don't think they ever is that, like did. Still, or is like in the age of internet porn like yeah that feels like a very weird sort of yeah i i don't yeah, know. i can't say i don't know if seth mcfarlane at the time of writing had ever been to a party before it reads more like someone who's seen a lot of yes. college movies with parties in them and they transplant that on to, like, sitcom adult life, basically. Do you think Seth has friends? Or, like, had friends at that point in his life? All I know is that the uh, the famous I did not care for the Godfather scene is based on an argument they had in the writer's room. So who knows? Maybe he doesn't. I mean, I'm sure he does. But th- I don't know. I could, if, if someone came up to me and said, yeah, back in the 90s, Seth MacFarlane had never had a friend, I'd be like, that tracks. Also, something that, well, two things that I want, that I want to say up. One, man, the, the, the first episode kind of doesn't feel like a first episode. It feels like yeah, episode I, four. I was rereading you know the plot I mean? summary like, just before we started recording, and I, um, since I haven't seen it in like, you know, like a week and a half or something, and again, I saw, like, he commits welfare fraud, which is like a season four, we're kind of running out of ideas, uh, plot not like the first episode of your show plot maybe it's because they were like trying to be like oh man we're gonna use like tired sitcom plots as our plots which is not necessarily a bad idea but it's like this does not use that well also the stag party and like peter falling asleep at the toy factory is a fucking flimsy first act connection to committing welfare fraud this plot feels like bullet points rather than like a narrative yeah i i wrote down in my notes for the entire season that like even now although it's not as bad as it's gonna get there's still really bad first act to second act connection. I mean, that did not stick out to me as much because I always thought that was part of the joke of Family Guy, which is like the fact that the first act and second act have nothing to do with each other. I, I almost thought that was charming. I, I yeah. guess so. I guess so, but it it's something that I hear a lot of people complain about, like uh, more modern Simpsons, and it's like, wow, this is way worse than anything even in that. Like this... Yeah, well, Family Guy definitely commits to it a lot more. That's true, but it does not feel graceful about it. I guess it's because this episode just isn't that funny. Right. So yeah. it doesn't feel like it can pull off the... No, no. Yeah. Do we have anything else to add to the episode? I want to talk about... The judge feels like he is put in a time capsule because every appearance from him feels just like his first appearance in this series. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is absolutely true. Oh, and uh, what did you think of the mind control device? Because that is something that, like, like it feels kind of tacked on that, like, modern Stewie is this great inventor. Like, it, like ever something that I did like is that at least, like, even if the Take Over the World plot or Kill Lois plot wasn't that good, which that is also something that, like, again, has gotten abandoned. I'd like that, it, like, every episode has him trying to create, like, a new thing. That's yeah. something that... Because nowadays it's just, like, mostly the time machine. Um, I, do we have anything else we want to add since I do want to get to episode six since I feel like that's a much weirder and more dense episode. I don't know if this is anything, but really the only other thing I can think of was I, I liked the extended jokes about the angel and devil on Peter's shoulder where it's like the angel gets lost in traffic and then his angel has another angel. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was I, yeah, I don't it's, think, it's a little yeah, clever. Was, yeah, I, I think the joke itself was like, you know, fine, like a five, six out of ten, but, but I think it was 
kind of a precursor to the jokes that I think work more, where it's that, that kind of high concept stuff where, like, it, it is the joke for the sake of the joke. I think that was them trying their hand at it, and I was glad to see it, even if it wasn't, like, my favorite type of it. Although it's worth noting that, like, if that happened, if you had, like, the, the angel devil thing in Modern Family Guy, that would be an entirely self-contained cutaway. Not only that, it would be, like, five minutes and half of it would not be joke. Going on to uh, episode six, I, I knew as soon as I watched this we had to talk about it because I felt like I was losing my mind watching the episode. There's just so much going on there. For starters, there are two incest references in it. Oh my like, God. already. Which is funny, because Modern Family Guy all but says that, like, yeah, Chris and uh, Meg are fucking. Yeah, I, I noted, like, you can kind of, if you looked at my notes, you can kind of see me losing my mind about this in real time. It's very, again, it's like, you know, the first season of your show. I can see incest being a part of a show that's, like, been on for a while and can't die. So they just keep trying to jam random, you know, this is offensive buttons. And I guess, you know, we talked about it earlier, how the show's trying too hard to offend. Yes. But yeah, it's still strange in the first season. There's just there a lot. I, I also want something else that I, I kind of want to point out. Like looking at like also something that I noticed is that like when you look at like the, the advice Meg gives Chris, Meg couldn't couldn't even do that in Modern Family Guy because, you know, of the, the contempt between her and Peter. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if Meg tried to do that in Modern Family Guy half way through Peter would come and fart in her face like he, that would be the yeah. joke. he would push her yeah. off him and go Eeeew. yeah I mean the show's like kind of always you know it undercuts any scene that could potentially be read as earnest but you know they still kind of do sitcom stuff here and uh yeah they, they a lot of the stuff they do in these early episodes they just could not pull off sincerely now I don't know they don't even bother deflating it with a joke like they usually do sometimes I wanted to talk about how the plot about Marge getting a I want to talk about how the plot about Lois getting Marge. addicted to gambling. Well, the reason why I uh, misspoke and said Marge earlier was because that is a Simpsons plot where yep. Marge gets... One of the best out season five episodes. Yeah, and uh, it did feel like they were trying to do something where the early on, I think they might have been uncertain as to whether or not to like divvy up the shenanigans between uh, Lois and Peter, where obviously gravitated more towards Peter. So they just like grafted on this pre-existing Simpsons plot onto the episode. And uh, yeah, it's very weird. And I was you know kind of rolling my eyes. It's like, okay, it's just, you know, uh, the Springfield gambling episode. But then the episode gets a lot more weird and uncomfortable. Oh, boy. Well, I just want to go back to the gambling thing for a second. It's kind of that, like, it doesn't feel like it, considering how, like, the next two seasons go. But, like, it is kind of, like, forward thinking in the sense of, like, modern Lois has a lot more open vices. So I guess that does kind of... But it does not feel like that, like, this was an idea that works. It's just, like, purely a coincidence. Like, no one is looking back on that Lois subplot when writing modern Lois. Yeah, I, I kind of grappled with that, too, because it didn't work for me, like, a lot in these early seasons. And, and I think why it didn't work for me is that later Lois at least a little bit revels in those vices, and, and Lois in this episode just seems guilty over it. And and I think that it's a lot funnier when... Yeah, she's just as, like, like actively hateful as everyone else, where in here, like, she's still, like, the sitcom mom. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. Yeah, I, you mentioned a lot how there's a lot of uh, stuff about Seth MacFarlane clearly dealt with an authority figure in his life that did not like his artistic ambitions, perhaps a bully or something, and you can definitely read that in Peter and 
sent in the Boy Scouts. I, I mean, I wrote that in my notes as kind of a joke. If, if you were to ask me, like, where I think that comes from, I, I think it's more that... I, I mean, obviously, it's informed by him somewhat. I also think it's partly that Peter is kind of like the Archie Bunker three times Xeroxed, and that it makes sense for that kind of character just to just be against, like, whatever their kid is doing that's creative. Uh, you know, I don't yeah, think it's, yeah. like, specifically about Seth, but, I mean, I, I would be surprised if he did not have someone in his life like that that at least informed it. You know? Also, it is it that is also something that is almost completely vanished from Modern Family Guy. Like, like I I, I did notice that trend was the the Chris painting episode this season. Um, I don't know. In Manhattan? Uh, was no, that? that's in season no, two. That's, yeah, that is next season. Okay, season two. But that's um, what I thought this episode was before I started it because I remember not liking that episode either. Yeah. I don't think Chris having a long term skill works. Yeah. I, I, I think I, Chris works better when he's just, like, a loser. I'm also glad they did not keep up the Chris is a scout thing. Yes. I don't think Chris works in a group setting. I don't think Chris works when he has, like, long-term positive qualities that you can hang on. I think Chris works better when he's just, like, an absolute waste of space. And yeah, I, I, like I a fail-some. Think... Exactly. I, I, I don't think they I found like, that. I like in... Chris. I think Chris works best. I would say more modern Chris works best when he's a slight, like meta take on that where it's like he's mostly that but he has like these like yeah occasional like really funny jokes or like gets like a decent idea every once in a while like it's 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 a little more complicated than that whereas this chris is just like a, i guess dullard would be a more appropriate word choice i would make the argument that that's less inherent to his character and more the fact that as you get later in the show all of the characterizations get somewhat shaky to allow for a gag when necessary and i think that Chris yeah. is a good springboard for that, but I see what you're saying. Which also something else. Like this is this is off topic, but I think it's kind of interesting that Family Guy went into more shaky characterization for the sake of jokes. Where I feel like American Dad, Seth MacFarlane's other successful, kind of went in the opposite and like way strengthened up its characterization. Do we want to dive into? So I mentioned how it starts off with the Simpsons ripoff with you know Lois spending too much at the casino and then it uh, yeah it gets into a territory i'm not sure i want to like go too deep into because it's um, just kind this, of uncomfortable this feels like a more problematic version of the already problematic jewish episode from yeah. season three I, I was gonna say what if basically the premise that i think spencer does not want to get into is what if native americans were also jews is kind of the take that they take on it yes. yeah which, which I, is um, fraught it feels really mean-spirited yes in a way that a lot of it didn't even like the stuff that is trying to push the envelope yeah it um it's not even like you know it's you know it's like oh it's funny but it's problematic it's just like kind of just like uncomfortable and weird and if you're if you're an older listener please chime in if there's some like 90s resentment against reservations and indian casinos the we're just not getting because I can see that being a thing, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. It feels like I mean, there's obviously you know a history of racism, obviously that you know continues, but like it feels like there's a very very specific type of resentment. And what's weird to me is I hesitate to say it wasn't racist because obviously it was racist. It was that was kind of the backbone of it, but it wasn't racist in the way that like the Peter Pan Native Americans were racist. It, it's racist in like a, like it, it gives them, yeah, it's like, it gives this, them agency. This feels, you in know a what this feels that, like? 
this yeah. this feels well like it's it. like what you said it's anti-semitism and anti-native yeah. racism you know what this feels like also a way i would describe it this feels like uh, it, uh racist caricatures of native americans from an alternate universe like it feels like yes yeah, it, it feels like you ran anti-Semitic stereotypes and uh, anti-Indigenous stereotypes into, like, a Brundlefly machine. Which is also, like, worth pointing out, because, like, man, Modern Family Guy sure does love its Jew jokes, but outside of, like, the one, probably the worst Ryan and Stewie, like, road trip episode. Oh, the... It doesn't the really do Germany. that that much. Yeah. God, that episode yeah. is so fucking... Yeah, it's uncomfortable. But, yeah, I do really kind of feel that racism from an alternate universe to me it feels almost like somebody who already liked making native american jokes like in the writer's room had their son stolen by a tribe of native american people yeah you know like like, like they already yeah. had that kind of immersion in in the kind of stereotypes but then they have that personal animus also and the thing is in a way that made it really like, uncomfortable yeah and the yeah. thing is, it's not like, like, I have definitely heard Indian casino jokes from other places, how right. later in Family Guy, but it feels so pronounced and, like, strong here. It's like, but why, though? Yeah. It, it's like, you almost wish it was lazier, you know? Yeah. Or, like, if yeah. if the joke had been like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm Chief Spin of the Roulette or whatever, you know? Yeah. I, I I'm, I'm, I'm Chief it. wins the jackpot, yeah, it, like... You could be like, oh, they're just being racist. But this feels like someone had, like, someone took issue with it. And in a way that really yeah. makes it tough to... It's it's like meta-racism. It's weird. Yeah, I, I, I just moving on from that, it's just not, like, a like, really fun thing to talk about since it's just kind of so bizarre. I do want to say, um, when the episode ended, you know, they tried to, like, you know, oh, do the, the whole stereotypes. Know, yeah. The, yeah, the more you know thing. And I remember... When they did, I know I expected them to like you know kind of subvert it at the end with you know oh, Canada sucks, which by the way Such they got angry question. letters. Did they really? They got, yeah, they got angry letters from that from Canadians. People were so fucking. That's just like what people did for like fifty years regarding TV. It's just like whenever something was bad about it, they just wrote letters to it. Up until the um, year twenty twelve, like the only hobby that people had was writing letters to NBC. I mean, boomers watched a lot of TV. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and they love writing letters, and they love complaining to the manager. So, like, 90, you know, ninety-five percent of boomers like, have carpal tunnel syndrome as a sole result of writing letters to TV shows they didn't like. But it's and that. But anyways, they did that, and then he's like, "Yeah, Canada sucks," and then it just cuts to black. And I know that Family Guy does this a lot, but it's season one. So when they did this, I literally shouted at my TV. That's the end of the episode. Oh my god. Um, it's... The wor- and the worst part is that joke could have worked, I think, if the punchline had been stronger. Like, legitimately, yeah. engaging setup. I thought it was funny. It kind mm-hmm. of kept you on a fish hook. And then they just ended with that nothing of a joke. And it's like, and then they end the episode. It's like, are you, like, making fun of us? Is that the first real Family Guy anticlimax? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's the first uh, what an ending. What awful start to that trend. Yeah, especially because it didn't feel like that was the joke, or at least to the degree that you would want it to be to end the episode on that. Ty, I just wanted to ask you which, since I know you had a lot to say about it, and we're not going to do a deep dive, but uh, which episodes vaguely racist annotations made you more uncomfortable? This one or the next one, where it's basically Brian is a racial minority. Um, if this episode was a vodka of racism, I think the next episode is like a finely aged wine. 
because yeah. because it's not like not uncomfortable in that like they're making jokes about a specific race. It's uncomfortable in that the episode is predicated on the idea that dogs are the same as black people, which is yeah, know, which is agree. Yeah. I think it, it's probably a smarter joke direction to go and then just you know make a yes. commentary on animal abuse. Um, and I think it's more yeah. solid of an episode, but the entire time I'm like, how deep does the joke go? Because like when they have Brian, and if this is offensive, I don't mean it to be, but they have him doing like massive voice at some part. And it's like, hold on, like you did not earn that. But like, yeah. and if that's part of the joke, like I can kind of see like where the impetus for it is, but I really think it's a tightrope act that they just don't nail. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Both episodes, uh, they're a very different type of uncomfortable, but uh, yeah, no, I uh, I will say that though everything bad about episode six, the genesis of, I wrote down in my notes that the genesis of modern family guy is kind of in episode six and that it's so hateful, but so like hateful in such a specific way. It's bizarre. It's yeah. nihilistic. It's like vaguely surreal. It's, it's, you know what it is? It's the most adult swim feeling episode of the yeah, season. Yeah, it is. It is the most adult swim feeling episode of the season. And it barely makes sense as a piece of mainstream TV. So, yeah, no, I was very confused the entire time. It was a very disorienting experience to watch. But I think that it is, if I had to tell anyone to watch a season one episode of Family Guy, it would probably be that one because you can see it all there. It's just in a cruder form. And I will say... As uncomfortable as it made me, and as much as I, I think they kind of did not stick the landing or even make it like a step onto the beam, I think that it was ballsy. And even if it doesn't work, like, I think it is braver than, or at least like more of a risk than the other episodes in this season. And, and kind of indicative mm. of a direction that the show will move in that I think is at least more interesting than it has been thus far. Now, Ty, I, we're obviously getting yes. close to the end of the episode. Do you have anything you want to say about... I know you wanted to talk about episode five, the introduction to Joe. Do you have anything you want to quickly, like, say about it? Um, I will be honest. I I really do, like... I think that we made the right choice in talking about six and seven a little bit. I just think it's so funny that how drastically Joe's character has flipped in the intervening years. Because, like, oh, yeah. is some same DNA. But I... You know, in, in this episode, he's, like, the perfect guy and... I think that works for like a couple jokes, but I vastly prefer Joe as kind of like the loser of the group and kind of the... I I, I can agree, but I think there's a happy medium. He, he's very much supposed to be Ned Flanders in this episode. And then like almost like immediately afterwards, you see this like unhinged lunatic, like parody of the dad in American or the military dad in American Beauty, which I think was a really good call since it leans into uh, Patrick Warburton's strengths as a voice actor. Patrick Warburton is very good at yelling. Yes. Yeah, also uh, talking about Joe a little bit. Um, two things I want to say. One, you, you compared him to Ned Flanders. I think it's also interesting that he's very much specifically early season one and two Ned Flanders where yeah the other thing I want to say is Joe is he's it, I think it's interesting that like the first side character they decide to give a spotlight episode two is a side character they are introducing for the first time rather than someone from the pre-existing cast I think that's yeah and you kind of see that too in in uh, next season when they introduce uh, Peter's Peter's father um Oh yeah, Francis. They, they, I completely forgot about him, but he's like a he's we'll, a, we'll talk about Francis next time. Yeah. Before we move on, the other thing I want to say about Joe, I am not disabled and so I I feel kind of out of my element talking about it. I think the jokes where they tie his legs together like putty are very funny. 
Yeah. They do that a lot. That's And, it, and it feels earned because I, he's still a competent, not necessarily three-dimensional character, but a well-rounded character. So it's 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 more acceptable to make fun of his faults, I guess. But, you know, none of us are physically disabled. Yes. So. And so obviously, like, there are people who might have different opinions. But I think that a man tying his legs together like Gumby is a very funny image. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up here. But uh, any closing thoughts on this first season of Family Guy? Um... It's not very good, but... Yeah, it's not good. It's not that great. But you can see the DNA of a more interesting show in it. The other thing I want to say is I'm glad a lot of Family Guy went in, like, the direction it did in terms of characterization. But kind of like, I kind of wish more characters would get the modern Meg treatment of sort of going more back to the season one treatment. Not because I, I necessarily think, like the original characters are necessarily wholly better but because uh, i've said this a lot i think a more compromised approach would be better for the show in terms of like not necessarily all of the characters like like chris is obviously wholly better i would say lois is probably wholly better but like i think like season one's not a great season but there are a lot of aspects of season one that i do miss about i think the modern writers could do with interrogating the ways that the characters have changed even if they don't end up doing anything about it yeah yeah, I agree. Brian, Brian could kind of use some. Yeah, he. Uh. I again, I I said earlier, I did like it when it went kind of more in the you know self conscious liberal from. Yeah, but Seth, now he's. But now it did go too far. Yeah. He is a loser. He is he is arguably the worst Griffin. Yeah, because it, it's it's not even like funny at a point. It just gets kind of like uncomfortable. Pathetic. Like Seth is working through some problems on screen. And I know he's not, like, in the writing process, but, like, I feel like there are a lot of Seths in the writing room, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So I think that'll do it for this week. Next week, uh, we'll be talking about a much bigger season and a much more famous season, season two, which is generally considered, I think, if I'm not mistaken, to be by a lot of people the best season of the show. Uh, we all disagree, obviously. Yes. I think it is a much better season. Just to It is a much point. better season. Uh, there are some really, really good episodes in it. And we will be joined by a special guest. Um, so be sure to tune in next time. And that's going to be the show. Uh, anything else you guys want to add? Uh, if you have places in your community that are organizing uh, any any kind of collective action, uh, go for that. And if you have any materials to build a bomb, uh... <laughs> this is gonna be the is this gonna be a thing where you just offer a weekly <laughs> terrorist threat? I'm I'm just gonna do a hackney YouTube joke, reminding you to uh, like, comment, and subscribe to all of our content if you want to see. Oh yeah, follow us on Twitter too, because none of us are funny, but we could use more followers. Yeah. All right, and that's gonna be it for the week. Hope you all enjoyed, and uh, I'll let Rose with Teeth play us out as usual. Bye bye. Bye. Things that make us laugh and cry